Hello and welcome to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. I'm your host, Eric Newman, the Gender and Sexuality Editor at LARB, and I'm joined in the studio today by Medea Ocher, LARB's Managing Editor. Hi, Dea. Hi, Eric. You are very slow talking today. Yeah, I'm trying to modulate my voice a little bit. Oh, it's, it's very <laughs> slow soothing. It d- slow it down for the listener. Well, it's our romance episode, so exactly. it makes sense. <laughs> Today we're speaking with Amy Kaufman, author of Bachelor Nation, Inside the World of America's Favorite Guilty Pleasure. I loved this conversation, and I loved it even though I am not a hardcore Bachelor fan like you and our poetry editor, Callie Siskel, who joins us on this interview, which I should point out. That's right. I I should also say that this interview is also in honor of our next quarterly journal issue, which is dedicated to romance. And what is more romantic than The Bachelor? A reality TV show where multiple women and men compete for the love to find of love. a stranger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's how dating is. It's, yeah, that's right. That's not, it's not totally wrong. <laughs> but the other thing, um, just before we get to this interview, that I really loved about Amy's book is that even for somebody that's not a fan of the show, I am a huge fan of media backstories. Mm-hmm. And she gives great detail into how this kind of institutional TV show was manufactured, like where it comes from, who the personalities are, and that, if nothing else is so fascinating. Right. And it's also, I mean, one of the really interesting things about the show, I think, is that it's lasted for, I think, over a decade. Yeah, I think Um, that's right. I can't remember when she said she started watching it, but it is forever. So that's kind of incredible. And it's unclear. I mean, I, I think she gets to potentially why the show has been so successful for so long, which mm. is this sort of kernel of genuine interest in in love and, and people falling in love. And, and no matter what the, the cynicism that actually surrounds the watching of the show, mm-hmm. there's some investment that people have in actually seeing sincere love on screen. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. She also has a really good take on the kind of ambivalence that most people approach shows like that with where they're like, oh, I kind of I love the drama and the fantasy. But I also realize this is just a lot of drama and fantasy, (laughs) you know, having it both ways. Eric, also, I should just mention the finale was on Monday. Oh, did you watch it? I did not, but it was all over my Twitter feed and like my various like text message chains with a bunch of friends were like, I can't remember the names <laughs> of like any of the any of the ones that made it to the finale, but I definitely remember seeing like everybody talking about it. Did you watch it? I did watch it. It is a three hour ordeal. It's very long. Why is that? Is everybody on Quaaludes or it's all played at half speed? Everybody should be on Quaaludes. (laughs) I should have been on Quaaludes. It it would have helped. You know, it was painful despite my deep fandom of the show. But there's also a new sort of political angle to to The Bachelorette, which we will, I think, touch on a little bit in in the show with Amy. All right. Well, with that teaser, let's get to it. Let's do it. We're excited to have Amy Kaufman with us in the studio today. Amy is a staff writer at the Los Angeles Times, where she covers film, celebrity, and pop culture. Her first book, Bachelor Nation, offers a behind-the-scenes view of the popular TV series The Bachelor and its spinoff The Bachelorette. 
Through interviews with those who worked on the show as crew and production team, former cast members, and her own deep experience covering the show for the LA Times, Kaufman moves beyond the scintillating gossip to think about why those of us in the living room continue to watch the show with such fascination and how it's shaping our lives off the couch. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks for having me. Maybe let's just do a brief intro because we have a new guest co-host. Oh, of course! With us How rude today. of me! I forgot that we have our very own Callie Siskel, poetry editor of LA Review Books. Yes, and sadly or not sadly, depending on our discussion of the show, I've been watching since the show began in two thousand and two at the age of sixteen. The Bachelor, you mean? Correct. Yeah, that, <laughs> not sadly. Yeah, not, not sadly. sadly. In my humble opinion. Also, right. <laughs> don't ever apologize for cultural consumption. No. Absolutely true. And another reason that Callie's joining us today, aside from her relative expertise in this TV show, is that she's also a contributing editor to the Next Quarterly Journal, as is Eric. And the Next Quarterly Journal is themed romance. Mm. And so this, I hope, will be part of our introduction to the next issue, which is our romance issue. So thank you so much, Amy, for coming. All right. So let's just start off with what made you want to write a full-length book about The Bachelor? Well, they say write what you know, right? And like you, Callie, I tragically know The Bachelor. It's been a part of my life for many years. I don't know since I was 16. I got into it a little bit later because I feel like in high school, I was like, what's the allure of this? Like, I'm not into getting married. I just want a boyfriend. But then slowly, it just sucked me in fully. And like you said, I covered it for the LA Times and... What at first was just like a fluffy pleasure, obviously later with the advent of Unreal, that show that was Mm. like created by a Bachelor producer talking about. And is loosely based, so we think. No, like more than, definitely based. (laughs) Pretty accurate. On her experience as a producer, I was like, huh, how much of this is real? And, you know, in casual conversations with contestants I'd had over the years, they started to shed a lot of light on the tactics that producers used. And I was like... If enough people are willing to talk about this, I think that would make a good book. So that's where it started. Interesting. So you became a fan, and then you became a critic, essentially, of the show, right? A reporter. A reporter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's yeah, call that. Yeah. Although I did do like recaps, so and those were what got me in trouble with ABC. Like they didn't. They were too right. opinionated. Wait, we should them. talk about that because yeah. they stopped you basically from having access to cover it, right? Yeah. press conferences or something like that? Yeah, pretty much like if you cover The Bachelor, if you work for E! or like Entertainment Tonight or whatever, you get to go to, sometimes now they let you go to actual dates during the season. Mm. And like, really? Yeah, and film like them on a salsa date. And then like later when that actually airs, it'll be like, we were on the set of The Bachelor. Like the week they did a salsa date. And you interview them and stuff. And like they'll let people go to Mexico for paradise. But back when I was doing it, which is like seven years ago, maybe, they would let you sometimes go to like the men tell all or women tell all reunion tapings and do phone interviews when people were like voted off. And so I wasn't good with the show for a while and would go to all those things and hobnob with the producers. And they once even, you know, sometimes they'll like crash viewing parties on the show towards the end of the season. They had Chris Harrison, the host, and a bachelor at the time, Ben Flanick, come to my house. Oh, wow. And like filmed it. And then all of a sudden, I just stopped getting email invites and stuff to all of this. So there was no official, you have been formally disinvited from... There's no, like, letter. But my editor called and was like, what's up with this? Um, the she TV didn't get editor. a rose. Yeah, oh. that's, that's, like, how I started the book, actually. Yeah. And they were like, Amy's coverage is too negative, so deuces. I mean, that's why I, was call- I called you a critic, because it seems like ABC was really seeing you in that light. Right. In terms of 
your coverage not being fluffy enough or positive enough. Yeah, you're right. You're right, yeah. And so you were kicked off the island, which is just another reality show, but sorry, (laughs) to mix metaphors. For you, how was that transition to transition from something being pleasurable, something that you enjoyed doing, you enjoyed watching, to something that was suddenly work? And perhaps work that was no longer made easy for you by the institution that had previously been sort of propping that kind of job up? I would say it was still Mm -hmm. enjoyable because... Honestly, now the show has become like social experience for me. Like my friends come over every week and it's just fun to hang out. Like last night we had two contestants from the show come over. Grocery Joe. Dana. And (gasps) Wills. Yep. You are kidding me. No. Dana's obsessed with Grocery Joe. I'm obsessed with Grocery Man. I don't know his (laughs) name. I can tell you everything afterwards. Yes. I'm sure your listeners, well, maybe they want to know. I don't, probably not. Okay, let's introduce Grocery Joe. He was a first night vote out this season who became a fan favorite, basically just because he was hot, honestly, (laughs) right? And he like had a grocery store. I learned last night, so he had a grocery store 45 minutes outside of Chicago. Oh, I was trying to find out which one it was. Yeah, I was like, where the hell is your grocery store? And then a week before the show started, he had coincidentally sold it because it wasn't really making money. And now he like is a produce buyer. So he like gets up at 4.30 in the morning and like picks out produce and like sells it to distributors. Dream man, I just want to say. (laughs) My (laughs) love for Grocery Joe was that he just seemed to have been beamed in from like 1930 into the show where he had this heavy sort of Chicago accent. He does have a verse, yeah. He was walking around this grocery store that he owned, I guess at the time, just feeling tomatoes. And then his story was- Feeling tomatoes! Was that he- (laughs) Like was sensually? No, well, not sexual. Just, you know, in terms of like, this is my store. I want to sell good tomatoes. And then <laughs> his story was that he started off selling watermelons. And I was like, this man is a time traveler. He's just like this weird throwback to how people used to exist back in a day where like grocery store owning and yeah, selling watermelon door to door. You know, but he said it was like a family business and he was approached See? in a Whole Foods to be on the show, which Ugh. I always like a guy who didn't apply. Mm-hmm. It was just like sought after. So. What percentage right. would you say that is of people who end up on the show? They try to make it more because the people who go to auditions are super thirsty, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> it's harder than ever to find someone who's like pure, so to speak. Sure. Right. Yeah. Can okay. we actually talk a little bit about, okay, so I have to confess that my- He's like, what are you talking about? My bachelor <laughs> experience is, as I was saying to you before the show, I am a parachute in bachelor fan. So it's like whenever I'm over with my friends, Joanna and her sister, Stephanie, they always will have it on, especially if the season is running. And so I'll like drop in and be like, oh, well- Here's these, like, kind of seeming to me because I'm not. We reject you and your judgment. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That it's like, well, this seems a little sad. You know, it's always every episode that I see is usually some woman drunk on a pool float. And, like, the parents are showing up, and now she looks embarrassed. Wrong. Those are the, the two ones show. that I've seen. I don't know what show I this is. I love how but... instantly defensive the two of you guys got. <laughs> so, to this point, actually, what do fans want out of— Like, what do they want and what do they like in this show? I think you should go to your own co-host first because she's been watching for 16 
years. Well, I was going to ask you a similar question to what they asked about like the transition from a sort of fan who's watching to a critical mindset, because I wonder at 16, like how cynical I was about the premiere. And I wonder at what point I started enjoying watching precisely because of some of the things you talk about in your book, which is sort of the unpackaging of it. And so I think when I started watching it, I was just interested in it from a plot perspective, which is like, who's going to win? And this idea of elimination shows are obviously really great ways to draw in the viewer. You know, you get sort of relatively attached to someone and you sort of insert yourself, who would I pick? And so there's just this sort of fun dynamic of seeing who gets eliminated. I don't know. I think I just liked that aspect of it. And then as I started continuing to watch it and watch it in college, like with the door closed because I was embarrassed. And I think before Twitter, it was sort of something that I felt ashamed of. <laughs> I started enjoying it more because I was having a more critical internal monologue and then later with friends. Wait, let's talk about that aspect of it. Because there is in your book, Amy, a sense of like, People may have ambivalence about some ways that they think about their consumption of the show. I so, think, like, most fans that I spoke to, honestly, were ambivalent about it. And it's interesting because, like, there are so many terrible shows on television, particularly in the reality space. And The mm-hmm. Bachelor, I would say, is the number one where people, like, feel like, oh, like, I, I do watch it and, like, I love it. I mean, there are a thousand percent problematic aspects with it. But it's interesting to analyze, like, why this one really hits whatever makes us feel so shameful. And I think part of it is, I mean, there's a million parts, but for me, the parts that make me feel bad are watching. Well, the other thing is like, I saw when you were giving the example of what happens on the show, you instantly went to like a sad woman on a pool float. And talking about this book, it's like always the women they talk about. I'm like, all the guys are doing this same desperate stuff, by the way. I know it started out with women competing, but The men are just as. I should say that the few times I've seen, which is literally two, so I guess that counts as a few, Bachelorette episodes, you are absolutely right. The men perform in very similar ways in terms of this kind of desperate, almost calculating, and to use your word before, thirsty way of trying to just get themselves through one more ceremony. Right. So that's like what makes me feel, first of all, I think it's uncomfortable to see anyone be told that someone is a prize and then they just automatically accept that, that bothers me. I'm like, stop just accepting what you're told by these producers. But they did sign up for it, even though we don't necessarily understand why. So if I let that go, (laughs) you know, it's like they only show the same kind of woman or man typically who is like very thin or buff Mm -hmm. or is generally a certain race. And that even though it's year after year, like, well, it's just TV. Of course, they're going to put beautiful, quote unquote, people on it. It's like that seeps into our psyches of thinking that that's a desirable man or woman. Right. You know? Particularly because we don't often, I mean, as you said, where the suddenly we're presented with this one person who is the prize, we don't often see other aspects of that person. We don't see their successes in their career or necessarily their intelligence. So there's some candidates that are bachelorettes, like yeah. Rachel, I think, was clearly like quite an intelligent woman. But so often what we do get to see all the time, it's a visual medium, their looks. Well, even increasingly, so when The Bachelor began, as you probably remember, there were, on paper, The Bachelor's suitors were the best. They went, quote unquote, the best. They went to Harvard, Stanford, educated, you know, grew up in affluent suburbs, worked at Boston Consulting Group. This was the first Bachelor, Alex Michelle. The first Bachelorette was a Miami cheerleader who 
she worked at a pediatric. She did something with children in a hospital, I feel like. You know, it was like all these stereotypical things of what would make someone, quote unquote, attractive to you. And now it's just because of the recycling format. They just have to be either like endearing to the viewer because they were jilted by the Mm. suitor or like you said, they're just attractive, which everyone who goes on the show is already attractive. attractive. And this season is a good example of the bachelorette Becca, who seems like a sweet enough person and I think is like a publicist, but we know nothing about her other than like she got dumped after she was engaged to The Bachelor. We're two episodes from the finale and I don't know much about her personality. One of the things you mentioned in your book, speaking of knowing nothing about the people that are on the show, is that they obviously stay away from certain topics on their dates or what I'm wondering and gearing up to ask you is, do they edit out actually sort of contentious conversations that these people might be having about politics or religion or family or the world or sexuality? Maybe they're not having any of those conversations or are they sort of ingrained to not go there. Um, I think they are pretty ingrained to not go there. And, you know, when you have the limited amount of time on a dinner date, you know, on the beach or whatever, they're like, let's talk about how great that was. And let's, you know, talk about the future and whatever. It's very like in the moment. That's why they're called in the moment interviews when they pull you aside, ITMs. But I do, you know, uh, there was one guy in the book, Sean Lowe, who was a former bachelor who talked about how he, before he proposed to the woman who he's still married to, he like, went over the night before and begged the producers and said, let me talk to her because I need to just make sure that she's will." He was very religious and he wanted to raise his kids in a Christian family. And he was like, I want to make sure that she is down for this. And I was like, that it took you to the literal last minute at midnight to talk about religious convictions is alarming, but at least he did it, which I honestly think is a lot more than many do, which we saw this season. I don't know if you guys have heard about this controversy of this guy, Garrett, who was one of the final two, Reddit sleuths, we can call them, found that he had liked a ton of bigoted and transphobic and homophobic Instagram posts. And everyone was like, well, how could Becca not have talked to him about this? She has Joe Biden on her Twitter banner. She's a liberal. She goes to women's marches. You would think she would at least know he's a Republican, less he has these alt-right views. So sure, we'll find out. But it seems like on this season, that has not been touched upon at all. It definitely hasn't. For listeners who maybe have not been... Yeah. Watching it. Right. Yeah. In terms of what you're saying, so just to back up into this question about somebody's Twitter account, because this is what I hear from most of my girlfriends about the show, is that it's like, well, yeah, obviously, Eric, it's not really about love. It's about, like, getting yourself out there, advertising yourself, then getting your Twitter blows up, your Instagram blows up, you get sponsorships and all other kinds of stuff. Is that really what this show is? Is it just a personality branding vehicle that creates a drama that we like to follow and like all elimination shows, but then really the contestants are just there to get a persona and then some kind of fame that they can transfer into money. Yeah, I think, you know, it would be impossible to say that anyone is <laughs> going there for on. Love. I think most people I spoke to, the general, like, you know, attitude was, why wouldn't I do this? It's like a free trip to all these exotic sure, places, yeah. which, by the way, is not a great line of thinking because you are like trapped in a hotel room if you make it as far as to go anywhere cool. Right. You're not roaming the streets of 
Gail Perry or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, they think it's like a free trip or if you're in the mansion by a pool and like you're getting to date someone really attractive and if it works out, great. And if it doesn't, then like, yes, I get to be an Instagram influencer. So they don't see all the downsides of the emotional turmoil you might face, your reputation being potentially yeah. harmed. Yeah. I wonder actually, is there a way in which you think the show has changed over the years because of the prevalence of social media now? Because right when it started was, what, 2002? Two. Two. I think Facebook started in 2004, yes, if I recall. Yes, that's correct. Instagram, obviously, later than that. Have you seen a progression in terms of how this show has adjusted with that kind of social media interaction? The title of your book, Bachelor Nation, right? That's part of Bachelor Nation as a hashtag yeah. or Bachelor Nation as a community mm-hmm. is completely grown out of social media. I mean, I think, yeah, in terms of just fan engagement, I think that's a lot of what has, like, fueled the ongoing popularity of the Mm. show and also encouraged people like yourself to come out of, like, closet, (laughs) uh, you know, that they watch. Because I think a lot of people that I know who started watching it started because they were like, oh, like, this celebrity I like tweets about The Bachelor or, like, Mm. my smart, cool feminist Mm. friend watches it. Okay, that's weird. There must be something of value or something to make fun of here that I would enjoy. But in terms of the contestants, yeah, I think it's more just what Eric was talking about, that it's increasingly more difficult to find people who have, quote-unquote, pure intentions and everyone, most people go in with the idea of what kind of character they're going to be. Or, I don't know if you guys saw this week on that new Sasha Baron Cohen show, they had, like, a villain, Corinne, on it. And what was most enlightening to me from watching that was she was so willing to go along with whatever Sasha Baron Cohen was suggesting that she say that I was like, okay, well, this is probably what she did when she was the Bachelorette villain and they were like feeding her lines, right? This is a girl who knows how to perform for the camera. Right. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, recorded at Emerson College in the heart of Hollywood. We've been speaking with Amy Kaufman, author of Bachelor Nation, Inside the World of America's Favorite Guilty Pleasure. We will return to that conversation in just a moment, but first, we have this week's book recommendation. So we have Lydia Millett in the studio with us today, and she is going to give us a book recommendation. Lydia, what are you going to recommend? I'm going to recommend a book by a woman named Julia Holmes that was published, I think, in 2010. It was a first novel, and I don't know that she's had a book since then. It's called Meeks, and it's just hilarious, and I wish people would read it. I loved it. It's absurd and strange and just so funny. It's all about this guy who... it's, It's sort of an alternate universe where men have to please women. So in order to even be allowed to continue living, they have to win the favor of a woman so they can marry. And so there are all these bachelors. The bachelors are the ones who are seeking that favor. And um, this guy really wants to buy a pale suit. He wants a pale suit, but he can't afford one. All the best bachelors wear pale suits. (laughs) Why? Well, it's just the custom. That's what attracts the women's eyes. Anyway, it's just, it's very ambitious and singular book that not enough people have heard of. Meeks. Is it Meek as in the Meek it's shall inherit the earth? Indeed. That? Yeah, but okay. then with an S on it. That's the name of one of the main characters. And is there a courtship ritual that is part of this book? You know, there are courtship rituals. I don't really remember what they are except that the central motif is the bachelor suit and the ability or inability of the bachelor to purchase the suit, the correct suit that the bachelor has to wear. It's very funny. How did you find this book? 
You know, I think that Julia was, I briefly taught at Columbia University. I taught one semester there. And I, I don't think she was my, I'm pretty sure she wasn't my student, but I think that I had to be one of the people that critiqued her thesis that she was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got sent this book after that. And I maybe blurbed it back in the days when I did blurbs, which I don't anymore. But uh, I just thought it was, I'd never seen anything like it. And that always is huge to me with a book. I often just, I'm reading a good book, I start a good book, but I feel that I've read it before and then I don't finish reading it. And this you've never read before. Do you watch The Bachelor? You know, a good friend of mine produced The Bachelor for a number of years, (laughs) Alicia Rossiter. She does not right now, but yeah, she was one of the producers of The Bachelor, Bachelorette. Wow. But uh, And so I have seen a couple of seasons in tribute to Alicia. But yeah, no, it's not it's not a staple in my in my viewing library, I would not say. Lydia, thank you so much for that recommendation. Can you tell us the title of the book and the author again? Meeks by Julia Holmes. Thank you so much. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour. We now return to our conversation with Amy Kaufman, author of Bachelor Nation, Inside the World of America's Favorite Guilty Pleasure. I want to talk a little bit about that psychological aspect of the show, because to sort of be clear about what the show is, it isn't scripted. Right, exactly. No, it's not scripted. And everyone, that's the number one thing. Like, well, it's fake, right? Like, it's like, it's not fake. I mean, they're put in these situations. uh, Yes, like, we are going to dinner tonight. And yeah, they might say like, okay, we'd like you to talk about this. um, But they don't have like, you know, lines lines or sides. Um, And I think that's especially more true for the the star of the show, because there's actually like so much responsibility on their shoulders. Mm. um, And they have to like, it's kind of a lot of work, actually. Like, they have to do all those interviews and talk about their feelings all the time, and they kind of need those prompts, I think. Right. Um, but uh, I think what's, like, the, the biggest thing I came to understand after writing the book was, like, obviously, like most of you guys, I was like, well, why would these people say, like, they're in love after four seconds? Or, like, act so over the top? Or, you know, and it's like, we just can't understand um that environment. Like, it's just something that's so foreign to any TV viewer of being in complete isolation with, like, only people who are in competition with you. And then all these producers, like, talking in your ear and no stimulation. Imagine just sitting in a hotel room all day with no books. Sometimes they get to bring, like, one book. But, like, no books, no television, no phones, no internet. Uh, You can't really leave. Like, your meals are controlled, like what time they're coming, you know? It's like, I mean, you start to behave in wacky ways and you're so excited to go on a date, you'll probably like- Of course, because like, just I love her. to go outside. Right. <laughs> just as an aside, that's what it's like for every single contestant on Drag Race and they have to tuck. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that part I found really fascinating in your book is particularly the producers who um, began the show- who could mold an arc so skillfully by molding the psychological Mm -hmm. state of the contestants, right? So, uh, and I I cannot remember her name, but there's that- Lisa Levinson. Yes, Lisa Levinson. She's like people think is Quinn from Unreal. Right. Yeah. And you, you, um, you tell this anecdote about her crying with a contestant 
Do you mind telling that? And I think it gives a good idea of the kind of psychological pressure these people are under. Yeah, I mean, so back in the day, everyone would describe Lisa as like the queen bee of the set. Um, Mike Fleiss is the guy who actually created it, but Lisa is the one who sort of, everyone says, like shaped it in terms of um, zhuzhing it up. So she gave mm-hmm. it all the like um, romantic touches that we've come to know and the roses and the candles and all the things that like define The Bachelor. Um, but she was also this like genius level producer, according to all these people I spoke to who worked with her, um, in that like if a lower level producer was conducting an interview and couldn't get tears or really the emotion of the moment, um, they'd call in Lisa and Lisa would like go in and they'd say like, she'd get it, she'd sit down with them. She'd be like, you want a cigarette? Okay, they smoke a cigarette and be like, let's take a shot. Let's take a shot of tequila. They, they talk, take a shot, maybe another cigarette. And like, bam, suddenly the girl has like cracked and is crying. Like described her as this like weird emotional, like, I don't know if it's manipulator, but just like she could get to the root of someone's emotion. And then she'd walk out uh, and be like, kind of just like, like, thank you. Thank you. You know, job done. Like, and would have sometimes like gotten emotional with them or cried with them and, you know, to relate to them, but did not take it personally uh, after the fact she saw it as business interaction. It's kind of amazing. I mean, I think that's so amazing um, to be able to do that. Um, <laughs> well, to a person, right. And then to, and then be able to shut it off and consider that just part of your job. Yeah. Um, but also then to just have like, a, and essentially in a psychological experiment caught on camera. <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like what your account of her makes her sound, this is a tendentious reading, but like makes her sound like almost like a dark arts, like psychotherapist. That it's like she knows what all the buttons are and she's like, and I'll just apply a little pressure here um, and then we'll get the waterworks. Um, The thing that I also found fascinating about Lisa Levinson's story is that I had not realized, and this is just my assumption, without having known about the backdrop of the show, which is one of the many things I think readers will love about your book, is that actually women were central to shaping this. So there's Lisa and um, Andrea Wong, right? As like the people that really kind of brought like, I mean, we can talk about Michael Fleiss later because that guy sounds like so crazy and and like in like a, a great character sketch kind of way. But like, how do you think that having those two, like Andrea Wong and Lisa Levinson, like how did they pull the special sauce of Bachelor together in a way that obviously made it deeply resonant with its audience. Yeah, so Andrew Wong was the ABC executive who agreed to pick up uh, the show. So it's it's kind of complicated. The show is produced by Warner Brothers, but distributed by ABC. So mm. if there's ever an issue on the show, like controversy over this Instagram guy or like uh, last season when the Bachelor in Paradise thing with Corinne, like you have to go through Warner Brothers, which is a whole weird thing. But anyway, <laughs> uh, ABC picked it up and Andrea Wong um, was one of the people who was deciding on the first Bachelor and really shaping like the, she was saying like, no, 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 this has to be a guy who's like really communicative and like he has mm-hmm. to be like, and it's funny that some of the male producers who were describing um, that process were like, yeah, she wanted like a metrosexual guy. Like she, you know, we wanted like an athlete bro. And like she wanted, she wanted like someone who could really express his feelings. And I'm like, oh, wow. Shocker. Yeah. Like, yeah. A genius yeah. idea to have I a know. person on the show who can actually talk to the camera. I know. Who wants to talk about <laughs> falling in love. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, she was instrumental in um, giving those kind of notes. And then as we were talking about, Lisa was really the one, like not only just her um, personal influence with the contestants, but as we were talking about like, 
the vibe of the show and and what do people consider romantic? Um, I often think a lot about like how The Bachelor and The Bachelorette have propagated what maybe us who go on dates think about as romantic because I don't know about you guys, but like when I'm going on a Bumble date, like no one is suggesting a helicopter ride or even like a beachside meal. It's like, let's get drinks for 20 minutes and see if we can tolerate each other. Um, But in the back of our minds, (laughs) that would be like the paragon of what a man could do. Uh, Yet, Mm -hmm. if a guy did suggest that, I'd be like, what the hell? It'd be confusing. But you like watching it, though. Like, it's fun to, like, if some guy was like, let's go away in a helicopter, you'd be like, um, let me, like, look through your social media and, like, really check out who this guy is before I jump in a helicopter. Right. Um, But, like, on the show, oh, yes, Queen, get it. Totally. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, have you guys ever seen, like, on some dating profiles, some men will write, like, like, I'm the kind of guy who wants to just, like, like, buy a ticket tonight to France and let's just, like, go. And you're like. I don't want to do like, that. Do you have a job? Like, what? How <laughs> right. can you just leave? But you have yeah, an impulse the... control problem, girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But on the batch, <laughs> no good. problem. Yeah, I did want to. I, I do want to ask you, like, how do you think this show, which has lasted so long, has been watched by so many people, um, potentially influence the way that we think about romance? Right. I mean, you you already said there's a way in which perhaps we think about dating differently, but. Is there some fundamental ways in which this show posits what romance is and then sort of answers that question? I mean, okay, so to, to like take away the cynical, jaded side of me, the part, and I say this in the book, um, the part of the show that I like at the end of the day is when it gets to where we are right now in the season, when um, there are just a couple of guys left and there is like visible, it seems to be that there's a visible connection between the bachelorette and her final suitors. And it just gives, <laughs> it just gives me this feeling of like, oh my God, like, this is possible, and they're really cute, and like, <laughs> oh, and I hate myself. But um, it does. It kind of gives me this sense of like, because when else do you get to watch in real time, like, f- those kind of feelings develop? I mean, we all love to talk to our friends about, like, hearing how they met, or, you know, like, that's, I love those kind of stories, um, or watching those, like, stupid viral videos of, like, couples who've been together for 90 years talking about like whatever things like that I think there's just something that makes me feel good about the possibility of love existing Mm -hmm. and The Bachelor totally feeds on that for me but I don't know if you ever get sucked into that or not no definitely and I also think every season I think there are a few episodes that I don't like one of them is men or women tell all I don't hate hate those and it's really just delaying you know it's a way to delay the, the finale and then the other episode I think I don't like is the hometowns I'm always thinking as I go into it, wait for it, that I, with it, I'm like, this episode is irrelevant to me. But actually that's when I think I feel the most like actual emotion. Because that's when they're in the real world and you're yes. like, oh, these are real people and their parents are impacted. I'm like, yes. Yeah. And I think yeah. I don't like that because ideally, I mean, the episode that aired last night is my favorite episode though, you know. Oh, the, the Bang overnight. Bang Room? For sure. <laughs> and the hometown is sort of the opposite of that, right? But then I think seeing the families reinforces the way that these are real people. It's um, Oh, you don't want them to be real people. No, I do. I do want them to be re- real people, but I sort of want it both ways. I want to have like the sort of, I don't know. I, I, I guess I want them to be real people, but I'm more interested in the romance and the sort of dates and the, the overnights. But then when you get the families, 
first of all, I love like looking at their homes. I don't know if they're real. Sometimes I wonder if it's no, like all a stage. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I, yeah, I love seeing the, the parent, the parental relationships, the sibling relationships, the friends. Because it's just, I think it's like the moment that you need an extra boost of like emotion right before the finale is, is the hometown. So that's another yeah. thing I like about It's funny show. that both of you say that because it seems like what is, aside from the sort of cynical... Um, extra feelings that the show produces that really what draws you in and me included I think um is this there's a there's a possibility of genuine feeling or emotion and that's enough yeah and it's like it's kind of like if you think about it as like a movie a lot of movie romantic comedies where people fall in love like we just see the best part like it ends when they like finally get together and that's what the bachelor is and even though we know you know, they're going to break up in four weeks or whatever. Like, that is why that has not come to matter to so many fans is because, like, it just feels good to watch the good part. You want yeah. that moment, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I was also thinking, I mean, because I'm the gender sexuality editor at LARB, um, how does the, sh- the show— has a- I love that abbreviation. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the show has a very interesting way, and you talk about it um, a lot, is kind of like how to deal with sex— um, both as like a natural part of the dating process, but also something that carries particular risks for the female contestants, either as like female contestants on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette herself, right? There was like a lot of interesting questions about like how The Bachelorette would be different from The Bachelor. You mean bachelor. like societal risks? Like, uh, uh, like, well, risk to the show in terms of like how people would react to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like one example being, uh, th- this has nothing really to do with sex, but with like, well, would she propose to them or, well, that was not going to be okay. So then the men actually got to propose after she selected them both to propose to her right. and selected the ring with which they were going to like propose to her. still is what happens. It's yeah. such yeah. a strange, seemingly organic, but probably completely staged thing where do they like wink like you're the ones that then they can like well it also alternates who goes first like who speaks first well that's the they always are pr- both prepared to propose I think it's just like how far she lets them go right oh. um, dark that is dark <laughs> well but let's talk about sex yeah. on the show because that's definitely a thing where they'll like yeah. wind chime away from it in like the well last the night is like that they, a good the fantasy suite yeah, yeah the fantasy, fantasy suite. suite last night um, so she had three final suitors and she let one go before she went to the fantasy suite, which, like, in the real world is probably a very graceful, ge- generous thing to do. Like, why you, why would you sleep with someone you who, you, who you plan to just, like, I mean, I guess people do Break that up all with, the time, yeah. sadly. But, like, uh, and yet, as my friends and I were watching, it was like, what? Like, you're not going to, like, sleep with them and, like, test the goods while you could? Like, you know, everyone was, like, very upset um, that she didn't uh, engage in that. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's, like, a lot of other elements at play. She's thinking about how she's going to look mm-hmm. um, on television mm-hmm. and, like, I'm sure very conscious of um, not wanting to seem like she's just, like, sleeping around for the heck of it, um, which many bachelors and bachelorettes have been accused of. Um, Not that, like, there's anything wrong with that if you truly are considering—well, first of all, there's nothing wrong with that in general. But especially if you're considering locking it down in, like, just a week uh, for a life partner, I think you'd want to sample the goods. I actually thought something that was really interesting about this season—I've only watched three— thus far but um three apps three 
seasons. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a recent, I'm a recent convert. Which correlates with my moving to LA. It does. It correlates exactly with Callie moving to LA. And I remember the first days of us watching it together where I'd be like, you have to explain this again. I'm sorry. Yeah. She gives them an envelope in which it, in yeah, somebody else invites them to sleep together in a room. Like, this is insane. Um, it that's really... how dating works, right? It's... <laughs> right, yeah. Um, <laughs> not for a while, Eric. It's changed. Um, <laughs> I have all the stationery that I have used. <laughs> <laughs> but something that I thought was interesting this season is that there was a contestant in this season uh, who was a virgin. And one of the really sort of like push and pull aspects of the show is exactly the sexuality, right? Where... Uh, you can't. It's you can't quite be open about it, but every it's it's obviously there. And, and people, there's the fantasy suite, so sex is sort of built into the actual process. Um, and then there was this one person who was a virgin, which seemed to really disturb people and disrupt things in a way. I actually saw a lot of people coming to his defense because mm. this, the show kind of made it like as the show was wont to do like a huge deal that yeah. he was a virgin and they even edited sort of it make after he confessed to the bachelorette that he was a virgin they made it seem like she got up from the table and was like I need a moment to like process this right um, and she had tweeted after the fact like I just went to pee but like we're good oh. um, <laughs> that's and, funny yeah and he had to come to her defense and be like she was very understanding but like it's you know of course a little bit more rare for a man to say they're a virgin on the show. There's been many female virgins on the show. Um, But yeah, that it's presented as this, like, they had the men back in the hotel sweeping, like, I don't know, she's going to be cool with that. That's like a big burden. That's like a lot of pressure. Um, And so there's definitely, like, virgin shame. It goes both ways. It's like, you're too slutty. You're too prude. I mean, it's That's the thing that really struck me, that it it seemed like— their virgin would in some ways be ideal for this show. It's this person it's like the ultimate romantic in some ways, yeah. saving themselves for marriage, saving themselves for the right person. Um, and, and yet it was like a, a disaster. This, right. This person was actually like a wrench in the system. And it's yet really last weird. night, um, the guys who were at my house, we were talking about who might be the next bachelor and everyone's like, Colton, Colton, it's a given. He's the narrative. He's a, he's a virgin. He has the most followers on Instagram. And I'm like, his narrative is that he's a virgin? Like, That's I just not a don't... narrative. Yeah. That's anti-narrative. And I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Also, I think he's gay. We were thinking it might be Jason because when he came back, they tried to make him look like... maybe. I mean, he does seem like a good guy, but I think that they, um, they really wanted to But this is a- what bothers me about the show we were just talking about earlier, like... Being a good guy who's, like, moderately attractive, in my opinion, not super attractive, is not enough. Like, I'm over this. Step up your game. Do you want them to revert back to sort of handpicking bachelors and bachelorettes based on, like, their cachet in the real world versus within the show? I mean, I don't think they'll ever do it. But, you know, someone who has, like, like, show me what this person has to offer. And they don't have to be, like, a millionaire or something. But, like— yeah. More than just they, a, a pleasant person. Right. Like that or their feelings hurt. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I had one question for you. Wait, wait, what did I just forgot? Um, oh, how have you been processing the recent um, sort of political failings of the show? Perhaps they're not so recent. More recently, I think there have been more out in the open in terms of there was the, the contestant on Rachel's season who had, again, posted racist 
pretty explicitly racist tweets. Um, and then on this season, uh, one of the contestants, again, being potentially an alt-right sort of yeah. believer. Um, well, I think How do you interpret all, this? Like, it kind of um, is weirdly connected to a larger cultural conversation that's going on that oddly has a lot to do with Disney, um, just because, you know, ABC um, let go of Roseanne for her tweets. And then um, recently the Guardians of the Galaxy director um, who works at Disney or Marvel um, was let go for tweets he had done like 10 years ago. And so when this first came out this season, the story about um, the guy liking Instagram posts that were bigoted, um, it was like, well, you expected to scrub the likes of someone's Instagram. I mean, I think there's like a larger discussion going on about how reflective like how much of yourself and your beliefs is reflected in your social media. And um, clearly ABC needs to reevaluate like for, for The Bachelor, their background checks, because, you know, the likes on Instagram is one thing, but the guy who um, was charged with like sexual assault. Right. Um, right. Yes. And I'm I'm actually like doing some reporting and that might not have been discoverable, um, I think. But, you know, it's like, it's an interesting question. They're letting this woman go out with all these guys and like basically vouching for them, even though she signs away all of her rights. But uh, can you ever really know someone's true intentions? And I think, like we were talking about, like she, they need to give these people an opportunity to dig deeper. A lot of people suggested like let her go through her their Instagrams or like you know, t- I mean I know the bachelor. That's like the antithesis of what the Bachelor is about. It's supposed to be like. They're perfect. We're in a bubble, but you know, it, it the real world is seeping in, so can't yes. keep it that way. It's gonna be really interesting if he wins, which I think a lot of people think he will. Um, what they do with after the final rose with addressing um, Do you guys his know past. who wins? I don't. I I have a guess, but I don't know for sure. Do you, you do? do? I sadly do know who wins because I got spoiled, but oh by the way, I appreciated um, your reality Steve coverage in the book as well because I actually didn't even know that was a real person. Oh, yeah. He's very oh. real. We, like, text all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, I – and I know that my co-host could also talk to you about The Bachelor all day and all the relevant cultural issues around it, but we're <laughs> going to unfortunately have to end there. Amy Kaufman, thank you so much. We've been speaking with Amy Kaufman, author of Bachelor Nation – Inside the world of America's favorite guilty pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. You've been listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like the show, leave us a comment and tell us what you think. The LARB Radio Hour's executive producers are Eric Newman, Medea Ocher, and Kate Wolf. Our engineer is William Broughton. Production assistance is provided by William Broughton, Eleanor Duke, Lauren Kinney, and Jake Levins. Special thanks to Alan Minsky, who is no one's moral conscience, for production assistance, and to Emerson College for the use of their studio in Hollywood. Tom Lutz is the publisher and editor-in-chief of the Los Angeles Review of Books.